organizations are leaving money on the table by not having women of culture come into senior C-suite executive roles. Hi, Tension. Hi, Natasha. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. How are you today? Wonderful. Excited to be here and have the conversation with you. Yes, always. So um, let's kick things off. I really want to delve in to your fantastic mission, which is to increase women of culture representation within the workplace. So could you share with our listeners a little bit more about that goal, what inspired it? And also I want to um, just highlight the fact that Usually we say women of colour, but within your mission, it is women of culture. So I'd love to hear a little bit more on on that as well. Wonderful. Yes. Women of culture was something that I coined. It, It was a real sort of passionate move on my end because I saw a lot of the women leaders, executives I worked with, Uh, landing, resonating with what I had to say. And it wasn't because of the color of their skin. It was their lived experiences, their traditions, their viewpoint of the world, their values that brought them outside of the cultural norm, of the dominant norm. And they they, they sensed and aligned with that, which is why women of culture really landed for me personally, and as well with a lot of the leaders. Now, my mission is to have 29% representation of women of culture leaders in C-suite. For a lot of people, the number 29 feels really super low. Are you like, really, come on, could you not level that up? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Know that you're nodding because you know the next part of it. Right now, our representation for women of color specifically is 6%. It's single digit. It is the lowest in C-suite. So for going from six to 29 actually is my life's mission. That is going to take mine and possibly my daughter's lifetime to try and see that movement. Now that mission is in place because I know with every cell in my body, the importance of having the right level of representation in C-suite, which is talking about women of culture because of the diversity of thought, experience, and creativity that is happening at the decision-making tables. And that's why it's so important for me to continue to have that movement happen in two forms. One is through women of culture executives and leaders, and the other is through their leaders who they report into. And it's two-pronged in terms of the approach I take. Mm, Fantastic. And we're going to dive into those two prongs there um, in just a bit. So could you outline the common misconceptions that we are seeing when it comes to the reasons behind the lack of representation? Absolutely. The, the, The first one that just immediately comes up for me is that well, actually, it's 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 a paradox that we live in as women of culture, that we are highly visible while simultaneously being invisible. Mm. Visible because there is a double standard in terms of the expectations that are expected from women of culture uh, in terms of their work performance and who they are and how they show up, while being invisible, meaning that they actually aren't seen as someone who may have the competence to hold the roles 
that are senior enough. Why? Because there isn't, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. There isn't representation. So there isn't a belief that the next one can go in and we continuously go down a, a downward spiral in terms of movement for, uh, for, for women of culture. The, the other big bias that I see repetitively is that they're not ambitious. That is so counter to the research and there's not a lot. Plus, even from my own experience, when I talk to a lot of women of culture leaders, the ambition is there. The, the, the inability to get to where they need to be is a, is a whole, other, whole other space. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's walls they've got to break down, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the other key piece that I would say as well, a bias that I see a lot is around um, tokenism, someone coming in because of you're a diversity card. And, and the bias that goes with that is limiting on both sides, for sure. And at the same token, at, uh, pun intended, I guess, at the same, at the same uh, time, we do need to have markers to look at the equity of what's happening in the world right now. In, in terms of that limitation, that can, that can be a double-edged sword for both the leader and also the people around them in terms of how they are viewed, for sure. How can we challenge and overcome some of those stereotypes that you've mentioned? A lot of what can happen, a lot of what is necessary is from an educational perspective, is how do we educate uh, what, can, what is possible with having diversity of thought and experience at the table? What impacts our creativity? What impacts our organizational culture by having full representation? Because we already knew that when we did not tap into say, just from a gender perspective, just women leaders, we were leaving 50%, 50% of the market of you know, educated, people, which by the way, women are more educated than men in terms of statistically speaking, uh, they've got a higher education point. We're leaving employment opportunities to only 50%. We're cutting 50%. Now we're looking at from a diversity perspective, there is a whole other layer that we can be bringing in and the impact to an organization. Um, that being said, you know, that the 35% higher in, uh, impact to an organization's bottom line if you bring diversity in. And you bring in two layers of it, which is gender and race, which is the intersectionality for women of culture. There is another layer to what the potential impact. More organizations are leaving money on the table by not having women of culture come into senior C-suite executive right. roles. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I think one of the things as well that, that I tend to see or one of some of the excuses is is budget or, oh, we don't we don't have the, 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 the funding to invest in this, this particular area just solely in supporting women of culture. What about just women overall? Um, so I, I'm glad that you mentioned that actually because it, it will actually... I think the money is there. Well, the, the money is definitely there on, on a couple of fronts. One, by having cohorts of leaders, for example, whether you've got 
uh, women, women's leadership programs, whether you've got women of culture leadership programs, whether they're using ERGs to all of that is bringing a degree of connection, understanding and alignment within an organization. So it does nothing but uh, align and to the point that you're saying, we start, we look at the short-term budgetary constraints and miss the long game of what the impact is, mm. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's all yeah. about looking at the bigger picture. So what have you found to be most effective in helping women break through those barriers in their leadership roles? I spend, with, with women of culture executives or leaders, I spend a lot of time talking about their self-belief and their own self-messaging. And that's because they day in and day out are, are um, the reality of their life is that they are continuously getting messages of questioning what's going on for themselves. And that's within systemic organizations that have got limited ways of believing and, and all of that. So there's a reason why that is. So I spend a fair bit of time really sort of helping them uncover their own beliefs where that is holding them back. So having that degree of confidence, that degree of who am I, in, in the organization. And more importantly, how can I be as I step in to ask for what I want versus waiting to receive what I'm handed, that mindset shift. Uh, so that includes some assertiveness skills, communication skills, and, and assertiveness doesn't mean, you know, assertiveness does mean, actually, I'll, I'll stay, stick with what it does mean. Assertiveness means how do I stand up for what I believe to be true in, an, in a discussion that may not be what's being asked at that point? Like instead of, I'll give a perfect example. I remember a uh, an executive speaking to me going, they went into a, a meeting with a colleague who was a, uh, a colleague, a, a white colleague, went in and this colleague went to the their same boss and just berated them about the idea that was going to be happening. And this isn't going to work. And this is why. And why do we have to do this? And speaking in a way that was actually quite jarring mm. for this other uh, leader. And this leader is going, what are you doing? Like, as they stepped out, why are you talking like that? Like, what? what why would you do that? Like, how? And, and this other person going, what do you what do you mean? Well, you're just disrespectful. You're doing this, doing this. And in the end, realized it actually wasn't the colleague. It was their own perception of what they were raised to do to be, but yet didn't necessarily align with the environment that they were in. Now, don't get me wrong. They didn't flip a switch and all of a sudden show up the next day with a lot more assertiveness. They took steps in being able to do that because I was able to help them sort of, you know, help sort of let's test this out test this out yeah. and really sort of align with what that is mm. for them no i think that that story actually resonates so well so much with me is because i i mean from as a black woman and i come from a caribbean background um i was raised by my mum she was a single mother but my grandparents helped out a lot um, throughout my childhood and was raising me and my sister and I just remember like always being told like don't talk back to your elders don't be disrespectful um, and that 
mindset did carry me over into what into when I entered the corporate world and so for me I always felt like right if somebody's sitting in a position superior to my own I have to be respectful I can't I don't know I just can't talk back like it's just something that's been ingrained in me from from young like that's just not something that you do and so yeah I I totally understand because there has been situations where I've been in a meeting and a senior leader is saying a few things or has a particular idea and I'm like this is not gonna work that is not but I would never dare say anything um and it is it's it, I, I now in in you telling that story I just realized actually you know what that's probably because of the way that I was brought up and absolutely yeah that's quite hard to change definitely not something I could probably change overnight but I agree is is it is something that I have felt challenging at times to be assertive and and as have I I've had the same challenges and one of the things that I believe is just really key is to because of being raised with the values of for me it was you respect elders you don't talk back to people in power and positions you listen you up to and including actually I remember my mom saying to me when I was younger I, I'd always I'd always say something I was the youngest I had two older brothers and uh, my mother would you know you talk too much <laughs> and I was like mom it's not too much it's an opinion I have an opinion and I would you know I mean I 50 plus years we've been in Canada I mean this isn't like we were you know I've, I've been around this is where I've you know um everyone around me had an opinion and so did I I've actually got quite a few for that matter the, the <laughs> thing is for my mom it was like too much yeah you don't do that and so I'm continuously reminded. And what I get to do is navigate for not only myself, but I've got adult children and now grandchildren. So what is the amendment that I want them to have? So they are still kind yeah. and honest. Yeah, no, Those it's are the true. combination. It's, yeah, no, That's what is. we want them to do, right? Mm, no, it's true. And I think it's, it's, it's that uh, notion that your voice doesn't matter. It's not as important as anyone else that's in the room, right? So if if, if there, which is completely untrue, and that's one thing that I think I've I've definitely carried forward with my daughter is is to let her know that she can speak her mind. But there's just a certain way to do it. As long as you do it in a respectful way, then it's absolutely fine. Um. So no, I'm glad. I'm so assert. So we've got assertive. Yes gonna do that um I know that you in in our previous conversations you've you've spoken on on the four c's um yeah. which curiosity compassion courage and commitment um yeah. so I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about all those four aspects and how they specifically enhance women of culture on their journeys to excelling and thriving in in a leadership role absolutely this is where the other arm comes in. Those four C's are for their leaders. Oh. So, so what's powerful is that these leaders, uh, to help clear pathways, because there is many, you know, statistics as to why, you know, the the, the broken rung where women of culture, women of color specifically, um, have are, are are not even able to get into entry level management positions. So, if we're looking pipeline, that they are the lowest. In fact, we've rolled back 2023 stats say we've rolled back that we've only got 73 percent compared to the 100 percent of white men uh, can't even get into entry level management positions. So there's a whole lot of, of pieces. Uh, so I'm really focused on 
the leaders and what can we do that they may not be aware of in terms of clearing pathways for women of culture. The first thing is curiosity. When a leader comes in with a sense of, I don't have every answer. I want to understand. I want to, you know, help me understand what some of your challenges may be. Holding that space of curiosity, not only is it good for us as leaders and humans as, a, as uh, you know, at a basic level, it's absolutely important and imperative, especially when you're trying to clear pathways because you don't have the answers. So staying curious is, is key. The other piece is compassion. And the other C that comes into mind and they're kind of aligned is, is care. Now, care, compassion, this actually comes from a place of to themselves. So compassion for yourself because you are going to go down some paths that are going to uproot some of your thinking. So I want, as a leader, I want you to take compassion to yourself that you're in a new learning space that you know what you're not going to have all the answers because there may be a moment that you may dip your toe into the shame pool and that's going to be hard because it's easy when you do that to all of a sudden step out and repel and and get right away from this instead i'm asking leaders to hold compassion compassion for themselves as they go down this whole uh, space of uh, discovery of understanding of of staying humble and, and it's going to take courage to do this. I mean, it takes courage because guess what? There's a reason why our organizations and, and a lot of our society has limiting factors. As you, as a leader, trying to understand women of culture leaders, you're going to be going up against these norms as well whether it's from your own immediate family to something you've heard on the news to whatever, it's gonna take courage to do the last C, which is commitment, which is to put a stake in the ground, to have a commitment to one small step. Because right now as a leader, I hold you wholly competent and as well willing to do what needs to be done. And there is going to be a lot of of uh, layers that are going to come out of this for you as you go through the the ability to help clear pathways. Oh, fantastic. I think um I love that you have the two prongs and I think it's ever so important it's it's one element that I don't hear talk about enough is how do we help those that are already sitting in those C-suite and executive <coughs> positions to up up and rise up those women of culture um and all of those qualities that you have spoken about just all they all make sense i mean it's it and they're all so intertwined it's it's great the way that you speak about it because it they are all connected and once you're able to grasp all of those aspects then one once you do one the other will follow and follow and then there you have it you're sitting in a position you're much more confident you're much more comfortable with where you are as a leader in order to help and become an ally for women of culture absolutely and and this framework stems from the the, the again such minimal research but the research that that people of color get less feedback than their white counterparts. And it's out of a space of innocence or a space of good, people, the, 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 the leaders just don't know, I don't want to offend, I don't know if I can say this, can I? For all of those reasons, 
the bottom line still is it limits leadership development in any of the other you know people of color because if i don't get accurate feedback on how i'm doing i will not advance mm. so so i really uh, in a very heartfelt way, know that it's important to support these leaders who themselves are out of you know good intention, still having a negative impact without necessarily realizing it. And that's why it's just so imperative to take the two prongs for sure. What are some of the self-care and resilience strategies um, that can help? Because I mean, women of culture, we've we've talked about the barriers, we've talked about some of the things that, that we need to do, some of the things that the senior leaders need to do. But I mean, how do they tackle those uncomfortable situations when they're happening on their journey? So the uncomfortable situations on their journey requires them to know themselves. So that sense of self-awareness is absolutely key. Self-awareness means at this moment, um, I actually can't respond to this, that I need to retreat to get some self-care. That, that That's an important piece. Now, self-care is a really a nuanced piece for women of culture, because if there's one thing that I have seen out of all the executives I've coached over the last 10 years, women of culture have a, a, a stick-to-itiveness that isn't seen elsewhere. Uh, in the sense, I've got to just, I got to do this. I'm going to go ahead. I got, you know, and and part of that comes from um, being oppressed for as long as there has been, but it's a, I'm, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to do what I need to do. So self-care actually is a really, it's a skill. It's one that we develop. What is going to give you energy and joy, which at this point isn't even part of most of their lexicon. That sounds odd. What I mean is, is like, I got to do X joy. What the hell are you talking about? Um, I, I'm doing X and I got to get going. I don't going. have time. There's no, yeah, I don't it's... have bandwidth for joy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you're going to Marie Kondo this? Are you kidding me? I'm trying to go this direction and I'm going, if that's going to help me get there, I'll do that. Self-care is a really, that level of self-awareness and what does it mean for me to be my best self is actually a, a big space that I work in. And, and what does that also mean? It means that we set boundaries. A lot of the executives that I've been able to work with that are women of culture have been given like the, the hardest team, the, the, the challenging job. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> You can't see it on the podcast, but my entire uh, for everyone listening, Kenshin yeah, did a exactly. thumbs up. <laughs> we had fireworks so, going off. <laughs> exactly, it's um, I've already lost my train of thought, but something to the effect around uh, as well. Self care helps teach you know getting ourselves into setting boundaries. What does that mean? Delegating delegating I don't have to do it all what do you mean I, I should you know I, I I'm gonna hunker down and do because like I that's where I you know in, in terms of the executives they are given the harder positions the jobs the teams the the ones that I don't know because why because a lot of these women of culture like I'll take it I'll try that one I'll do that and do everything they possibly can and that's where a lot of uh, distortion can happen in terms of how I balance what I need to balance the other the other area is 
not going it alone. There is such a desire to, I'm going to do this. I'm going setting up a support network of peers, of mentors, sponsors, getting, getting yourself a community that's going to help where you can bounce off, you know, am I on track? Am I not? All of those things, a coach, you know, variety of things. Those, those are all small steps to help women of culture in that moment know that actually it's an inside job. I got to do this to show up here because we've done a lot of showing up here, doing the external work because we know we need to and giving ourselves space and grace isn't as, you know, it's down on the lower part of the list where we need to reverse that. Mm, totally. And I mean, you as a woman of culture, and I think sometimes you put a mask on, right? Um, and so it is actually quite hard to stop and actually think about, okay, who am I? Like, what am I contributing? Where do I want to go? Like, that self-awareness can be quite difficult when you may well have spent years putting on a mask in order to be able to fit into a working culture that isn't designed or hasn't really been inclusive of you and who you really are. Um, so, no, I love that. And um, you spoke about mentors and sponsors. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from you a little bit more. How do we help encourage those senior leaders, senior executives to become those mentors and to be those sponsors? Mm -hmm. So one is, um, it's education. It's, it's truly starts with education. So they understand the why it's important. Um, so I have found that when I spend time in explaining the impact of having women of culture, and most of them get it. I, I, this isn't a, a huge hill to climb. It's a question of being able to really help educate. The other that I that I really found to be impactful is encouraging them to do reverse mentorship, which means that they actually are going in to learn from someone that's quite junior, that's completely opposite to who they are. So a woman of culture with a, a senior white male leader, where they're coming in is a, that's a, a playful way of actually getting wisdom brought forward and brought up and as well um, educating. Uh, I think that that's a, a key piece as well. The one thing I would say about mentor, and I, this is a little bit of a side, and it's a strong belief I hold that we as women of culture are over-mentored, under-sponsored. So we, there's a lot of mentorship programs that are given, and that's important. And at the same token, sponsorship was when someone has your back, someone has got an eye on you for your career advancement. So what that, what I'm, what I really highly support women of culture doing is seeking sponsors, not just mentors. Now they may start out as a mentor, but you have got to have your eye on the long game, which is in a year, two years, I actually want to turn this mentor into a sponsor. So what does that mean? It means I show up at these meetings with the degree of purpose, education for them, and curiosity from from for them as well because you want to come in prepared but i would say that that whole piece is really important around sponsorship and aiming for sponsorship and we have to have we we have to so 
competence is table stakes. We, we, you know, we, we already have that. Uh, that's never been an issue for women of culture. Any of the ones that ex leaders and executives that are, that I'm working with are, have that in spades. The piece is the other, you know, the connectivity and how are we getting the representation that we need for the connectivity to show the visibility of getting into the next level of positions. Mm, and I, I'm curious with the, the sponsorship, what would you say is a resource or a tool in order to to open or to do more more research into how to get a sponsor? So with with sponsorship, one of the things that I would say is um, it, you want to be researched, which is you know a, a basic skill, but we want to research. But what you want to research is what are the next three positions you would want to have? So you turn around, if you're in an organization, what are the three positions that you would want to have? And then you go in and ask for uh, conversations around that. So again, we are driving our own career, trying to drive our own sponsorship because nobody cares for your career as much as you do. Mm. That's a fact. So we are, are driving that. So you take a look at what are your, your next three positions that you want. You turn around and start having conversations with the people that are currently in the roles. So that, that's going to be important when it comes down to um, understanding what the role is. So then when you can go into the next conversation with their upline to say, who, are, who am I? This is what interests me. These are the skills I have. That's important. The second thing I would say is, when you're looking at sponsorship, you want to look at, if I was looking at a Venn diagram, what are the skills you hold? What is the passion you hold? And what does the organization need? And you want, you want to have that sweet spot in the middle. When you're looking at sponsorship, you want to be able to articulate all three of these things. Because when we're only looking at this is the skills I have and this is what the needs are, it's not going to be sustainable. You want to bring in your passion of this is also a whole other area. I know it doesn't belong, but this is it. Because that's what a lot of organizations are doing right now. And sponsors are looking for that. I mean, senior leaders' responsibility is to tap on talent. They want to make sure that talent is also growing. They have a vested interest as much as you do going into those conversations. And, and so sponsorship happens when we turn around and, and start looking at it from that perspective as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, Kenjin, thank you so much uh, for speaking with me today. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so thrilled that our listeners were able to hear all of your lovely insights and, and a bit on your journey um, and experience. Before you do leave us, um, I would love to hear from you. We're looking into the future now with women of culture and diversity, equity, inclusion. What do you hope to see in the future for women? in the workplace and women of culture? So for me in the future, it's having women of culture have equal opportunities, representation, support, recognition into decision-making tables, specifically 29% at C-suite. Fantastic. Kenjin, once again, thank you so much for joining me today. And for our listeners, if they want to connect with you and find out a little bit more about your work, um, how can they do that? LinkedIn is always uh, a space for me. 
uh, also my website, which is Capri Consulting. I also have an international community for women of culture, which I do monthly free workshops for, like I do sessions where I'll even coach, because to me, there is a need to have a community and that's just so critical. So there is also that, and that can be found on my website as well at Capri Consulting, starts with a K, K-A-P-R-I Consulting. Well, I will be putting all of those links below the episode. So everyone who is listening, they are able to easily get in touch with you and find out more. Um, Kenjin, until we speak again, I wish you all the best and thank you so much for joining me and spreading your journey. Thank you so much. It's been an honor.